You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. You can uh, open your copies of the Scripture to Hebrews in chapter 1 and verse 4. And while you're finding that, um, I would like someone to grab that coffee mug that's over there on the offering cabinet and bring it up to me, please. I would appreciate that. Can't preach without coffee. I don't know where that's in the Bible, but... (laughs) There you go. Who would have... I didn't make that connection. I did not connect those dots there. But in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 4, as we continue to follow the the author's thoughts concerning the person of Jesus Christ, this book exalts Jesus Christ and uh, calls those who read it, those in the first century, Uh, in the churches, Jewish in particular, who were wrestling with how to respond to Jesus Christ, those who had responded in faith, um, how extensively to follow Christ as it pertained in contrast to the Judaism that they had grown up with, Uh, those who were uh, hearing but had not yet committed to Christ, uh, the exhortations in this book for them to take the truth that was before them and to take it sincerely and to embrace it and to trust Christ as Savior. And warnings to those also who were hearing but were being indifferent and uh, not willing uh, to uh, act on the truth. Uh, And so uh, this book identifies Jesus Christ and talks about him for who he is. And it, it continues to be even in the 21st century, uh, the person of Jesus Christ continues to be uh, someone that is misidentified, misdefined, uh, and not responded to. You would think after 21 centuries of uh, the scriptures and of Christ and the articulation of Christ around the world that uh, that would grow less and less, but indeed it hasn't. And so the, the exhortations in this book are very contemporary. But this morning... Uh, We continue looking in verses 4 through 14, and in particular verse 4. Let's pick it up in verse 1 and read on through verse 4 and follow the flow of thought. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. That is where we're at this morning. Uh, The emphasis that Jesus Christ is infinitely superior to the angels. That's why we spent time last week talking about A summary of what the scriptures teach about angels, and it's a lot, and we just did a summary. And we also looked at Jewish concepts 
about angels as it existed, uh, those concepts existed in the first centuries. And uh, so there was some commonality, but we saw embellishments of it. But the point is that in the minds of Jews and in the culture of Judaism of that day, probably a little bit less today, uh, was a very, very high regard for angels and how they viewed them and, and then how they developed an extended uh, theology of angels, not based upon scripture, but based upon their traditions. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, do not fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus Christ is simply some super spiritual being, some super angel. He is unique and different from any angelic being. He is unique and distinct and different because he is God. And so that's where we pick it up this morning and continue to build on that truth. It says in verse 4, having become so much better than the angels. Um, this word became, gnomenos, means simply, it's a common word in the, in the New Testament, in the Greek. It means to be, to become, to exist. Uh, significance here so, is that it's in the aorist tense. And uh, just take from this that, that it's emphasizing fact and reality. It has no reference to time, really. And it's just emphasizing the fact that Jesus Christ in his humanity, because that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about, Jesus Christ in his humanity, that part of his person, fully God, fully man. But as people deal with Jesus Christ, they think of him in his humanity, and rightfully so. He became a man. But he's, he's saying that Jesus Christ is a unique person. He is a unique man. He is the son of man. He is the son of God, according to the scriptures. And so when it says he became, it's talking about in his humanity that he attained a greater name uh, in his humanity because he fulfilled the will of God. And he was uh, ascended up to heaven. So it means to, uh, to become, to exist. So the focus is by, uh, by the author is on the humanity of Christ. The man Christ Jesus has an existence infinitely superior to the angels. That's what he's emphasizing. That Jesus Christ is infinitely superior to the angels. There's no comparison. There's, there's an infinite gap between angels and the person of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is God the Son. He's one of the persons of the triune Godhead. He's God. And so, of course, there's an infinite difference between him and the angels. So he's, he's helping the readers and helping us to move beyond any thought of Jesus Christ being less than who he is. But then he goes on and states in this verse, he became so much better than the angels. And this word much better, kraton, is an adjective of comparison. It's comparing something here. And it means to be better, greater, superior to. So in comparison to the angels, Jesus Christ is infinitely superior to the angels. So that's why he goes through then in the following verses, and he makes the contrast that he does between God the Son, Jesus Christ, and the angels, as he picks it up in verse 5. And he says, For to which of the angels did he ever say? So obviously he's addressing a potential uh, misconcept on behalf of some Jews who were trying to think of Jesus Christ as being someone other than God the Son. 
And then he gives a number of statements concerning Jesus Christ and angels throughout the rest of the chapter. We won't be going there this morning, but that's what he's driving at when he's saying that he is so much better than the angels. By comparison, he is infinitely superior to angels because he's God. He created angels. So as he begins to develop this truth, he first emphasizes that Jesus Christ has a more excellent name. That's what he says here. As he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. What's in a name? My name is Larry. When I hear my name, somebody else has that name, I know that they're in their 50s, 60s, or 70s. <laughs> it's just, but that's about the significance of it, you know. We named each of our children, uh, and we chose the names that we did for them because we attached as parents a significance to their first name in particular. And our trust and our prayer was that our kids, as they grew into adulthood, would live uh, as an expression of that name. For us, it had significance. I don't know how much significance it has for our kids, other than the fact that that's the name we gave them. But for us as parents, it carries that significance in our mind and in our desires. But in Scripture, <clears throat> names carry far more weight and far more significance. Often names were given to express someone's nature or character of what people would hope that nature or character would be. So names are vitally important in Scripture. So when the writer of Hebrews says he has a more excellent name, we might say, so what? What's in a name? But to appreciate what's being said here in the Scriptures is to understand that as God uses names, these names have significant meaning, significant expression. So let's begin a little, a few observations from Scripture about names. First of all, as we come to the Ten Commandments, uh, we can track this in Scriptures if you want to. Deuteronomy in chapter 20 and verse 7, as God revealed the law through Moses, and Moses recorded it. I meant Exodus, excuse me. That, that would be a really different verse in Deuteronomy as I just looked at it. So that was a, the computer did that, you know. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, even if we don't understand the nuances of that verse, it immediately tells us that the name of God is to be greatly honored, greatly respected, and not to be used cavalierly, not to be used in just a common way. That was the command that God gave uh, through Moses to the children of Israel. 
when it comes to the name of God, be sure that it is revered and respected. That's one of the commands. That they didn't think of the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the same way that they might think of the many pagan gods that existed in every civilization at that time. God is unique and distinct and different, and his name represents and expresses that distinction and that uniqueness, that holiness. And vital to that is to respect the the name of God, and by respecting the name of God, you're respecting the person of God. To disrespect his name is to disrespect him. To dishonor his name is to dishonor him. And so, as it is expressed, be sure that it is used in a a manner that is respectful and honoring of God himself. It's his name. And God says, don't take my name lightly. I kind of cringe um, when I was raised... And I'm, I'm not saying that you need to embrace all of this. I'm just saying this, has been my, my, this was my experience being raised um, uh, in a, by a Christian mother and going to a, uh, a solid Bible church growing up. But we, we were taught as it pertained to this command and uh, how to practice this and how to understand it. And other verses similar to this that don't even take uh, the name of God in, in common use. For instance, like I often hear, I, I would cringe at this, um, OMG, you know, and, and saying that. Uh, so I don't even want to say that because to me, as I was raised, I was raised to understand that, well, that's, that's not really honoring the name of God. That's just an expression. And people might say, yeah, it's just an expression. But as we look at the scriptures, you know, I was taught respect the name of God. And, and then we really kind of got into the weeds because they said, well, you know, there are words that are uh, expressions that are just shortened words like, oh, golly, and oh, geez. And we say, well, that is, I'm laughing at you. <laughs> you might say, I'm laughing at you, Pastor, to think, that's, I'm just saying that's the way I was raised. Don't even say, oh, golly, and oh, geez, you know, because those are, are shortened expressions we were taught for God and Jesus. Now, I don't know for sure that they are, and I don't take offense if I hear someone say that in particular. But what I'm getting at is simply this, that uh, we were raised to have a respect for the name of God, to honor him and respect him by the very way that we used his name. And in particular... An important nuance of this uh, in the Old Testament background of this was not to use the name of God as an idle assurance that you would or wouldn't do something or that your word was true or reliable. That is an important part of what it means. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't say, by in the name of God, I will do this or that or the other. He said, don't do that. And I think of what our Lord said in uh, the Gospels when Jesus said, let your yes be and your no, no. You don't need to swear by something greater than 
yourself. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Your word, let your word stand on the basis of, of your character, of your person, of your nature. But when you start invoking God and say, in the name of God, I will do this, that, or the other, and then you don't, so you're trying to use the name of God to give credibility to what you say, to what you do, to what you promise. So that's an important nuance of that. But the point is, before God, God said it's vitally important that you honor and respect the name of God. Now again, as I expressed about my growing up experience, I'm not saying I'm not trying to lay that on you. I was just expressing a little bit of what I was taught and exposed to growing up. But it was all for the purpose of honoring and respecting the name of God. That was the intention of it all. Also, we know from Scripture that uh, the name communicates character and significance. There are many examples of this, but I want to take us to Judges chapter 13 to begin with. Find that in your copy of the Scriptures. This is a fascinating account from the Old Testament regarding the uh, prior to the birth of Samson, the angel of the Lord uh, appearing to Manoah, who is the father, would be the father of Samson, and announcing to him that they would have a son. So we pick it up in verse 13. So the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ taking on human form and then communicating a message from God. That's what that means, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Um, so before he actually took on humanity in a permanent way, uh, he had some pre-incarnate appearances in the Old Testament, often connected with the angel, what is referred to as the angel of the Lord. So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please, let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. He just thought he was a man. He was looking at a man. That he had the appearance of a man. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? that when your words come to pass, we may honor you. Now follow this. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? And that Hebrew word for wonderful means wonderful, incomprehensible, beyond understanding. In other words, you're asking something that you can't even begin to comprehend. You do not uh, uh, understand the significance of my name. Why do you ask my name? So let's continue to follow this along. And the angel of the Lord, so Manoah, verse 19, took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord and did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Who wouldn't? When the angel of the Lord appeared to no more to Manoah, and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die. Why? Because we have seen God. Then, it was then that he connected the dots. 
that God had appeared to them in human form. So no wonder trying to communicate the name was not something Manoah was ready for. Why do you ask my name? Since it is one, my name is wonderful, it's incomprehensible, it's beyond understanding. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would have not accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. But Manoah wasn't at a point where he could begin to appreciate the significance of the name that God possesses and the names that God possesses, the importance of the name. And then in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, this is a uh, verse that, if you're not familiar with it by just the reference, you will be familiar by, with it by uh, recognizing that it is often used appropriately as we recount the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. But Isaiah the prophet prophesied concerning the birth of Christ uh, about 600 years before Christ was born. And he said this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, expressing who he is. So the one born in Bethlehem, a little over 2,000 years ago, Isaiah prophesied about 600 years prior to his birth, being very God of very God, and that's what his name is. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God expresses his nature and his character through his names. So God holds them in high regard. And he calls upon us to hold his name in high regard. Then also name communicates stat, uh, status and position. Uh, some fascinating passages here. Psalm 72, go to that portion of, you, of your scriptures. Psalm 72, verses 17 through 19. And the psalmist says this concerning the Messiah. His name shall endure forever. His name. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. Do not use it in a common way. Honor, respect God for who he is by honoring and respecting his name. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Beginning to get the idea that the name of God is highly exalted and to be respected and honored even in how we use his name. Also we see in Philippians chapter 2 an awesome portion of scripture. Again, one that we are very familiar with. 
but it's just awesome. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about the, um, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that he took on uh, humanity and uh, what that means. And then after he was uh, humbled by taking on humanity, he was exalted. And so we read this in verses 9 through 11, once Christ was exalted, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, now watch this, and given him the name, which is above every name. Now even if we don't understand all the nuances, nuances of that, we understand that this is significant, that the name that he has is significant, and it's not just a name. It expresses truth and reality as to who God, who Jesus Christ is. He's given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So this is no small thing in the eyes of God, the names that are assigned, the names that are given, the names by which he communicates himself to humanity. And Jesus Christ is so much better than the angels, beginning with the fact and the reality that he has the, a, a much more excellent name than any of the angels. Because the names express these realities. The name of God is to be reverenced and honored and respected. The names of God communicate his character and his significance. The name of God communicates his status and his position uniquely as God. And then uh, finally in this regard, regarding uh, the name, <clears throat> let's go to Revelation in chapter 19. And this is uh, speaking of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom. We pick it up in verse 12. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name a name written that no one knew except himself. Kind of sounds like Judges, chapter 13. Why do you ask my name? Since it's wonderful, incomprehensible, beyond understanding. It's a name that no one knows except himself. He was clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Name, 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 name. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his robe and on his thigh a name written. King of kings, Lord of lords. We are blessed as we are exposed to and study the names by which God has chosen to reveal himself. So it communicates status and position in Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the word of God. He is the son of God. He is God the son. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one and much more. He's the savior. In this verse, it says that in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 4, that Jesus Christ has by inheritance obtained 
a more excellent name. This word inheritance, kleronomia, is a word that communicates the kingdom of God in the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, all the various aspects of the kingdom of God, but especially the rule of Jesus Christ. It speaks of the millennial kingdom of God. The millennial kingdom of God is that thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. Often in the New Testament, when it speaks of the kingdom of God, it is speaking about that thousand-year rule of Jesus Christ. That's what millennial means, millennium. One thousand years. And eventually, at the end of that thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, which is yet future, which Revelation 19 talks about the return of Christ to establish that kingdom. And so inheritance is the inheritance of that kingdom. It's the kingdom of God, the rule of God. And eventually, that kingdom, that thousand-year kingdom, that thousand-year rule, will be blended into the kingdom of God the Father. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the chapter that talks about what? Primarily. I, I see lips moving. Resurrection, that's right. Just a magnificent statement concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in verse 24, in the midst of this discussion about the uh, resurrection, we read this. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom, his kingdom, the thousand-year rule the king that he has, to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule, all authority, and all power. When does that happen? That happens when there's the new heavens and the new earth, and the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ is just blended right into the new heavens and the new earth, and all of that reality. And Jesus Christ, in his humanity, is the one who inherits that kingdom as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will rule and reign, and we will rule and reign with him. So he's saying all of this to say, now, to which of the angels has he said anything remotely like this? To build that very clear distinction. But then he emphasizes in verse 4, of Hebrews, that he has a more excellent name, diaphortion, Tyrone means different, unlike something in nature or quality or form or degree. That's what the word means. So the name of Jesus Christ is unique and distinct. It's different in nature and quality than any of the names, the designations of angels. Remember, names, God uses names to communicate reality, to communicate character, to communicate position and status. And none of the angels have any name like Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is God. His name is unique and distinct and different. He has a name that is above every name, as Philippians chapter 2 says. Why? Because he is God the Son, not a super angel. Not a super spiritual being of some kind. He is God the Son, unique and distinct and different, as the triune God is unique and distinct and different from all of creation. He is the Son of the living God. 
Matthew chapter 16, as the disciples were returning to Jesus Christ from having been out on a short-term ministry trip, he asked them, who is it that men say that I am? And they said, well, here's, here's what we're hearing. We're hearing that some say you're Elijah. That's good. That, he's held in very high esteem. Some say that you're John the Baptist. That's, he was very highly regarded by his contemporaries. Uh, some say that you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. In other words, people have a very high regard for you. And Jesus then asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter's response was, you are, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not made this known to you, but my Father in heaven has. Peter recognized that Jesus Christ, and this man that he was looking at, this man that he served with, this man that he followed, this man that he listened to, this man that he was looking eyeball to eyeball with, was not merely a great prophet. Another man who was a great prophet, a great servant of the living God. No, this man, Jesus Christ, was indeed the Messiah, the Mashiach, the Son of the living God, God Himself in human form, in, in, in humanity, standing right before Him. He's unique and distinct and different. So it's vital that as we think about Jesus Christ, that we think about Him for who He is. And humble ourselves before Him. And honor him. And honor him beginning with that most excellent name. We hold him in high regard by holding his name in high regard. In unique, a unique place in our thoughts and in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this portion of your word. We thank you for these great truths. We thank you for what you have revealed Lord, indeed, you are God. Lord Jesus, indeed, you are God. And you took on humanity and became as we are, as John said in his first chapter of his gospel. And you dwelt among us. And then, Father, you sent your Son to the cross. And Lord Jesus, you, you bore our sins in our place in your body, and in your soul. And you paid the penalty, you paid the price, the required price for sin. And you bore it by yourself in our place. Then you rose again, Lord Jesus, demonstrating the fact that indeed you are God, and that indeed your sacrifice was accepted and was acceptable to satisfy the justice of the triune God. And then you have ascended to heaven where you are now, interceding for us, and we await your return. Lord Jesus, thank you for your great mercy and grace and love toward us. And thank you that 
as you have ascended to heaven, the Spirit of God indwells us and is present with us. Lord, we want to honor you and love you and respect you for who you are, the true and living God. And may we have a deep and abiding and growing respect and honor and love and reverence for you. For you. And Father, we're, we're grateful that you have brought us to yourself through faith in Christ Jesus. We look forward to being together with you. And now, Father, we look forward to spending time with you in a special way around your table. Communion. As we commune with you and remember the great realities of our Lord Jesus Christ and our new life in him. And remember that our Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. Thank you for this time together in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.